We are so glad that you chose to be with us today and that you've been here. We're concluding today a series on places to grow. And one of the things that I've recognized from so many of us is that as people who make decisions for Christ and we say yes to Jesus, we have this opportunity and we say, man, I really want to grow. So how do I grow? And today we're going to be answering specifically some questions in this regard, but before before we get there, just a, a one-minute recap of where we have been. It's, if you remember, we started this series looking at a story about Jesus that Jesus tells about where you and I begin to provide the best soil possible to grow. And we talked about this idea of the different types of soil and how you prepare yourself, how you fertilize the soil, how you get yourself in a position and a place to really understand and begin to recognize what growth looks like. And then we talked about what uh, moved it forward with understanding the connection that we have to Jesus Christ and how do we stay constantly connected to Jesus. And as we do this, today I want to unpack what for many of you in the room may be one of the most difficult passages of scripture that Jesus talked about. And part of the reason for this is because as Jesus went through his life and as he was preparing for the time of crucifixion, he came to a place in the book of Matthew, the 25th chapter, which is where we're going to be today. And he begins to bring forth this discourse. And the discourse that he's going to be talking about is he brings in this understanding and this idea that for all of us to say yes to Jesus is one thing, but to say yes to Jesus with a heart that changes is another thing. For instance, you know, I'm married and I love being married. And one of the things that I've learned in 14 years of marriage is this, that I have a tendency to say some really stupid things. Anybody here do this? And, and I kind of, it's a gift, right? It's kind of a gift. I, I thought I'd write a book about it. You know, things never to say to your wife. You know, just, I, I've learned over the years, and I, I'm not going to bring them to you because, ladies, some of you would never come back to church again when you hear the things that I've said to my wife. And, and my wife's kind enough to say, that one needs to go in the book. That's what she'll say. And so I'll, I'll say something dumb, and then she's like, that one ought to go in the book. And so, uh, and, and, and here's the thing is that uh, if, if I... We're, and, and there are those moments that I say something, and I'll say something absolutely off the chart stupid, and as it's going out of my mouth, all of a sudden I realize this is not the direction I wanted this to go. And so I'm, I'm one of those people where I'll say it, and then as I say it, I'm like, oh, that was, and then all of a sudden I look at her response, and I'm realizing, yes, big mistake, big X here, and here's the thing, if I were to be a person who said those things as I do, and in the course, I said it over and over and over again, and I never changed my actions, eventually my wife would say, does he really mean what he says when he said, let's get married? And any of you that ever had close relationships understand that. And this is the concept of what happens. 
Let me give you another example of this. If I were to say, hey, I've got two prizes to give away. Who wants a prize? And you raise your hand, I call you up here, and the first prize I say, and here it is, this is big, everybody listen, I have a 25 cents off your next Big Mac at McDonald's coupon that I'm giving you as a prize. You would take it, and because it's me, you'd at least be kind and be like, wow, thank you. And then you go sit down, and for you, you'd be like, you know, look, I'm a vegetarian, I've never had a Big Mac at McDonald's, I don't know. And you'd be like this, you know, thank you for nothing. And then if I were to say, okay, now who, who wants to have the second prize? Most of you would like, I'm not raising my hands now, but one brave person would, and you came up here, and I handed you a cash for $1.7 million and said, here, then most of you in the room would be like, whoa. And if you're the person who's the recipient of $1.7 million, all of a sudden you're like, I'm now a millionaire. Uh, wow. And let me tell you, would there be a difference in the gratefulness between the 25 cents and the $1.7 million, more than likely, yes, there would. When we say yes to Jesus and we begin to follow after him, there should be something that stirs in our hearts. And while salvation is simply saying yes to Jesus, there is a yes to Jesus that has this heartfelt compassion to it that says, now he is the leader of my life. Now I want to follow after him. And so I say that today because the passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 25, and I'm just going to read through this, is a very difficult passage of Scripture for a lot of us. And part of the reason, another reason why this is difficult, is that many of us in the room love to hear stories about heaven, and we love to talk about heaven, but Jesus is directly discussing hell in this passage. And most of us in the room have a difficult time when somebody talks about hell and what that means because we get this idea that somebody's just trying to tell everybody they're going to hell and here's what happens and Jesus in this passage gives the most direct piece of this is the group of people who go to heaven and this is the group of people who go to hell and he talks about it and the problem that's going to stir in you because it's stirred in me is that as you read these words of Jesus you are going to have a conviction in your heart because you're going to be saying for most of us in the room I'm missing the boat in some of this so let's just dive right in to see what Jesus says Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit upon his glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or when did we ever see you thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. And when you read this passage of scripture and you get to this place, many of us in the room are like, okay, I'm struggling a little bit. 
But it's the next four verses that Jesus unpacks that absolutely is difficult for any of us to hear. Because then he says, the king will turn to those on his left and he will say to you, away with you, you cursed ones into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you wouldn't come and visit me. Then these folks will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And then verse 46, they will go away into eternal punishment and the righteous will go into eternal life. And this is tough. Because I don't know about you, but as I read this passage recently, it it dawned on me that when I look at my weeks and I look at my time and how I spend my time over the course of even the last five years, very little of my time is spent trying to help those who are hungry get food. Very little of my time is helped trying to get the thirsty to take care of. And, And yes, I'm a pastor, so I'm in hospitals a lot and I visit the sick. But then I began to recognize as I was reading this and, and, and unpacking this kind of thing, how so many of us take a passage like this and the difficulty of this kind of a passage and how it relates, and we love to figure out ways to get around our own inconsistencies in our lives. For instance, why this passage is so difficult for so many of us is because throughout Jesus' ministry, he talks about two types of sin that people have a tendency to deal with. And here's the thing, if you're writing down notes, I want you to, 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 to write down these two words. And the reason I want you to write them down is because we spend so much of our time talking about the first one that we miss the second one. And the first one is simply this, that is the sin of commission, the sin of commission. These are the things that I know I'm doing wrong. If we were to have an honest moment and you were to be honest with the people who are around you or be honest with me and we had a confession time here as a church and we were to say, okay, tell me about the sins that you commit, that you've committed, the sin that you have. Most of us in the room, if we're going to get honest enough, we would go through and be able to share those kinds of sins. We'd be able to say, you know, here's the deal. I mean, I, I know that I'm really struggling right now with greed. I have this much money, but I want this much more. Or I know right now I'm struggling with lust and I'm having a hard time on the internet or I, I've got a relationship that I know I should have or I'm struggling with idolatry I feel like that whenever I see other things I idolize those or I'm struggling with 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 the coveting what my neighbors have I really want some stuff that they've got that I don't have and so all of us in the room would say I know what my sin is and here's the thing you come to church week after week and I love being your pastor and talking week after week about how you and I can take those things and this week instead of screwing up seven times how do I screw up six times next week how do I 
make it to five times and maybe even get to a place that eventually I step beyond this sin pattern in my life. And we get to that place and some of us in the room have even overcome some major type sin patterns in our lives. And then what happens is we get this sense of pride in us that says, yes, I've been able to do this. I've made major steps forward. And we celebrate and we think this is awesome. And we spend so much time trying to figure out how do we manage and how do we lessen the sins that we commit. And then here's Jesus who comes at the end of his life and his last few hours on this earth before he's going to head into the crucifixion. And he's beginning to say, guys, I want you to hear something because I'm going to say it and it's tough to hear. But here's the problem. I'm not going to talk about in this moment the sins that you committed. I'm not going to talk about all the wrongs that you've done. Here's what I'm going to talk about. And this is the second set that most of us miss. They're not just the sins of commission, but they're the sins of omission, doing nothing. And that's where this passage of Scripture is. Because we love to hear the idea that somebody would share with us about, okay, this is what you do if you've got this sin pattern in your life. And when we talk about discipleship, most of us never really include this opportunity in our discipleship. Many of you, when you hear the idea of growing in Christ, most of you in the room have an immediate thought of, I learned the Bible better, or I've got to have a better Bible study, or I've got to figure these things out, or do those kinds of things. If I'm going to grow in Christ, I need to sin less and I got to quit committing all of these sins. But when it comes to the understanding and the revelation as Jesus begins to share this and he shares this with a sense of, of, of absolute urgency, he's saying, gang, I love you and I know you love me and if you love me, there's something that changes the very core of who you are. You see people that you don't even know and you treat them in ways that you would look at them and say, they're like a king. They do, we don't know what they do. We don't know what mistakes they made, but I'm going to do what I can to help them. And when you look at this passage, I I wrote a question down there and it's fairly simple. What what does Jesus command us to do? And and he put it in this passage. I mean, uh, there's nothing really outside of this. I mean, you you can try to figure it out and look at some different language and say, well, he really means this, but he really means that to try to soften the blow. But, But simply, here's what he says and he puts it in the passage. He says, feed the hungry. Who are people that you don't know that you need to feed? Who are the people that are hungry right now? Let's feed them. What does he say? Give a drink to the thirsty. When somebody's thirsty, you give them a drink. He says, invite strangers into our homes, which for many of us in the room, we go, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'll invite my family. I'll invite my in-laws once every seven years. But the last thing that I'm going to do is invite somebody that I do not know to sit down at a table. Why? I'm a dad with three small children, and I don't know what they're going to bring into my home. But he says, you invite them into your home. You visit those who are sick or in jail. And for many of us, these are the things that in modern American Christianity that we reserve for the paid leadership to do. And this is a command that Jesus brings to all of us. 
Jesus had a brother, half-brother named James, and, and James wrote a book and later on in the New Testament, and James would finish his fourth chapter by saying these words, remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. Sins of omission. Now here's the thing, is that you and I spend so much of our time, and, and I do, I do this, I look back on my week and sometimes I even vary my week to say, okay, well, I was a little bit better at this and, and I was a little bit better at this and I did a little better here and so had a pretty good week. Thanks, God. And I recognize that his grace covers the rest of that and that his grace overwhelms me in these things. But what I forget more times than not is that there's two sides to this equation and it isn't just about being a better you. It's about you making a better commu a community around you. It's about you helping other folks out. You can go back and look at the history of Christianity and the amazing thing about Christianity is that Jesus comes onto the scene, he dies, he goes to heaven, his followers take over and in the first, second and third and even up to the fourth century, the thing about the church is that the church grew the most by this very commandment. They believed core to the core of who they were that this is what they would do where most cities would take those who were homeless and kick them out of the city when people said, we don't want this kind of riffraff in our towns, or they'd take the criminals and they would move them far away from everybody else, or if somebody was sick, they would kick them out. And the reason that they would kick them out of a community is because we don't want them. The church would come along, and Christians were known in those first four centuries to show up in the very communities where people existed, where lepers were, where people were dying of diseases and nobody wanted to be around them, and the Christians were the the very first ones who would show up and love these people and encourage them and show them who Jesus Christ was. And eventually there was this movement of God that continued on and the movement of God would eventually transform people who were emperors, people who were kings, people who were leaders in this movement. But it started by taking this idea that you could do for one what you wish you could do for everyone and you would do it for who? Who's that group that you would do it for? The next question, who is it that we're to feed in hospitality and visit? The least of these. Those who deserve it the least. And somehow, in church world, we have come to a place where so many of us get to this moment and we just think, man, this I'd rather just have another Bible study. I'd rather meet with a, with a group of people. Give me something else to do. In our community here, even in church, the least of these are the groups of kids that are standing back in our rooms back here. I mean, they can't fend for themselves. They can't take care of themselves. You come and you drop them off. But in our community, we have people who at Crossroads Community Church commit themselves to making sure that those kids are safe and not that they're safe, but that they're learning something about Jesus on a regular basis. In our church, we believe that the least of these is the mandate of Jesus. And so this is why every month when you hear us talk about opening up the thing called the warehouse, and every month we have dozens of families who come. Last year, over 1,200 families walked through our warehouse ministry, and we had the privilege and the opportunity to hand them bags of groceries to be able to feed them and help them. You know why? Because, not because as a church, we want to be seen as the church in the community who does those kind of things things. It is because it is a mandate of Jesus Christ. This is why we do these things. 
recently, an individual came to me, and, and, and I, I got to visit him in, 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 uh, in the hospital. They were sick, one of our folks. And when I showed up at the hospital, they said, you know, uh, you know your pastor's here, and, and, and there's a, a, sometimes when that happens, you know, there's kind of a sense of pride of, you know, bah, 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 Bible man's here, you know, that kind of thing. And, and I'm standing outside, and, and the nurse said, uh, hey, your pastor's here. And I thought, you know, okay. And then the person said to me, you know what, uh, just ask him if he can only come in for a couple of minutes because we've been visited by so many people from Crossroads. We need to rest. And I thought, thank you, Jesus. And yet, there are many of us who we've reached a place where we feel that others look at us as leaders, as spiritual leaders, and this sin of omission is real in our lives, and we never talk about it, and we never bring it out, and we never focus on it. And the reason that we don't focus on it is because for so many of us, we're guilty of this sin. Over the last few years, my wife and I have decided that we're going to open our home up to strangers, to people that our kids have no idea who they are. Some of them are pastors in our community. Some of them are people who live behind us. Some of them are widows. Some of them are individuals who, 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 who are divorced. Some of them are people who maybe not have had conversations with other individuals for going on decades. And the reality for us is that we've learned in those situations that it gives us an opportunity to love on the least of these. And this isn't a mandate that God calls the pastor of a church to do. We don't do it because I'm the pastor of Crossroads. We get the privilege of doing this because we are Christians. So how about you in this? Because for some of us in the room, right now you're thinking, how do I continue to grow as a Christian? And you're looking at it and you're thinking, okay, well, I got to do this and I need to do five of these and four of those and figure this out. And maybe right now what God is saying to you in a very real way is he's saying, guess what? It's time for you to become a sheep and stop being a goat. Find someone you don't know. Find someone that you don't recognize who they are. Maybe show up in a nursing home. Maybe invite a widow from our church over to your house for dinner one night. Maybe for you to seek out and begin to say yes to serving in our preschool ministry. And you'll begin to understand why they're the least of these. When there's 43-year-olds pounding at your knees, you'll recognize that. But that is an opportunity for us as a church to show the community that we live in that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. It's not about just sins of commission. It's about sins of omission. And the point that I want to drive home tonight, today, is simply this. It is sinful to avoid doing good just as much as it is sinful to pursue evil. Hear that. Because a lot of us would say, man, I'm doing good. I'm reading my Bible every day. I'm praying. I've had these sin patterns I've walked away from. I'm doing okay in these areas. But it is just as sinful for us to avoid doing the things that God's asked us to do. 
Here's the amazing thing is that this isn't just a, a thing that Jesus said. The person who wrote half the New Testament is a guy by the name of the Apostle Paul. And Paul wrote the most famous uh, verses that Paul wrote were in 1 Corinthians 13, probably used in the wedding. If you're in a wedding or if you've been to a wedding, you've heard people talk about it. Love is patient. It's kind. But one of the things that we don't really read very often in that passage of Scripture is in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul talks about this idea of hyper-spirituality. He says, here's the deal. If you can speak in the tongues of angels, if you can do incredible things, but you do not have love, you are missing it. And Paul would even describe it this way to the church in Galatia. In Galatians chapter 6, he put these words together. He said, let's not get tired of doing what is good because at just the right time we'll reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. And then he concludes this verse with the next verse by saying, therefore, when we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. So here's my encouragement for some of you. As we've been working through this places to grow, what does it look like for you to look around the room and see maybe one of our widows who's here and to ask him a question, could you come over for dinner one night or we'll bring you dinner one night? Or maybe for you to be able to say, hey, is there something that we can do in your lawn? Maybe you need us to come and clean up the leaves after the winter. Or maybe for some of you in the room who say, you know what, I really don't know any people that are under-resourced and they need food subsidies or any of that kind of stuff. I really don't know those people. Then show up here on the third Saturday of any of our months because every third Saturday of the month, we're here feeding hundreds of individuals in our community and you will have an opportunity to see those folks front, first, forehand, right in the front. And you'll get a privilege to feed those in our community who need these kinds of food. And the goal here isn't for you to try to fix them. The goal here isn't for you to, in that moment, to make a judgment call and say they deserve it or they made this mistake or that mistake. All Jesus is saying is that as Christians, our job is to love unconditionally. Now, for most of us, we love our families. And many of us place these things, the least of these, and we put it on our families. But that is clearly not what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying, hey, you're doing great with your mom and dad. You're doing great with your kids. That's enough. Now, that's, that's part of the package. Even unbelievers do those kind of things. But the people who don't know Jesus oftentimes look at Christians and ask the question, why would people be willing to give their life, their time, their talent, and their resources to serving people that no one else in our society wants to serve? Simply because of Jesus. And that's my encouragement for us today. Because I think that this is one of the greatest ways for you and for me to begin to grow as disciples. Because we spend so much of our time working on the commission and managing our sin problems that we miss the omission piece and we just miss the people who are around us.
Some of us spend so much of our time condemning those who can't fend for themselves and we have a whole political reason why, but we miss the boat and why Jesus said, go do this. Even if you disagree with the reasons they're in this position or the mistakes that they made and you may think to yourself, why in the world would I ever want to do that? Because Jesus asked us to. Now I want to close this entire series and take these last five minutes by talking about the question of how does all of this growth stuff play out at Crossroads? You see, the mission of Crossroads is simple. We want to meet you where you are and help you take your next step with Jesus. That's our mission. Now here's what I'm going to ask you to do because I know that for some of you, you've been thinking, man, I've not had a chance to look at my neighbor. And I'd love to have an opportunity to look at my neighbor. I'm not going to ask you to talk to your neighbor because I know that some of you, that's a tough thing. So I'm just going to look at your neighbor. So look at your neighbor if you would. You look at them to get a good look at them. Now here's the thing. Show of hands in the room, how many of you look identical to your neighbor? Okay. I'm looking here. We got any twins in the room? Okay, there we go. I'm not seeing any hands. Did you know that God made you unique? And the cool thing about it is this. I've had the privilege of knowing a number of identical twins. And the thing about it is that when I get to talk to both of them in separate occasions, I learn that even though on the outside they look the same, on the inside they're not the same. That one twin has certain interests and ideas and another twin has other interests and other ideas. And for the ideas that God created every one of us differently. And so here's what I want you to do as we close out is that you were given a little booklet. Go ahead and grab it and pull it out. And I'm just going to take a couple of minutes to look at this. You read this at home. I'm not going to want you to read this here. And let me just say this, because I'm handing you this resource in your hands. And many people, many of our, of our leaders, many of our, our staff members were a little hesitant of me handing these out to you. And I'll tell you why. Because the purpose of this book is, is it's a playbook. And, and if you remember some of you ever played in sports, you knew that there was a playbook that when at the beginning of the season a coach would hand you a little booklet and he'd say you memorize all the plays in here and so I knew that whenever I played sports a long time ago that I knew as a, as a guy whose job was to block that I either had to take a step forward I had to take a step to the left or I had to take a step to the right and I knew if the number was zero I took a step forward if the number was in an odd category I took a step to the right if the number was in an even category I took a step left and that's all I needed to know and I learned every possible play that had to go with that and here's the thing every time I'd walk in and I'd have an opportunity to participate in a game I knew that if it ended in zero I go forward if it was an odd number I go to the right if it's an even number I go to the left and so they would call out a play and the guy would say blue 72 and then in my mind as I'm sitting there all of a sudden I'm going go left go left go left go left and that's all I had to remember was to go left and find somebody and hit that person or blue 60 and I'm like go forward go forward go 
forward. That's all you got to do is go forward. I knew the things that I needed to learn. And the problem for a lot of us is this. You are confused about what it is. Some of you have heard us say week after week, if you want to get connected at Crossroads, come to Crossroads and Six. And some of you have said, look, I've been coming here for 30 years. Why do I need to go to Crossroads and Six? Because we have a playbook and we want you to be a part of the playbook. And so here's the thing. If you would uh, just humor me for a moment, open up your book to the very first page, and there is a letter by this incredibly awesome guy who's super handsome. Okay? We're not going to read the letter right now, but you can read that later. But open it up to, uh, to pages two and three. This is a question I've been asked by a lot of people. Man, I got a friend and I want to lead him to Christ, so how do I do it? It's right here. This is an easy, easy opportunity for you to share your faith in a very simple way. And I'll tell you why we do this. Because these booklets are never meant, and this is why our staff pushed back, is because these booklets were never meant for you to walk through them alone. You always walk through this with somebody else. You go through life together. Even as a senior pastor, I don't do life alone I have other pastors around the country who mentor me and walk through life with me. I call them on the phone and say, hey, how do we deal with these things? What are some things that we do? I have people in our community who walk alongside with me and I walk alongside with them and help them to grow. Why? Because Christianity is a community sport. It's not an individual thing. If you go to the next page, in page four, we say that the first step after anybody saying yes to Jesus is simply baptism. We've got some baptisms coming up Easter weekend. If you're interested in doing that, the information's there of how you can connect with baptism. But then turn to page six, if all of you would, as you can tell, we're walk, walking through very quickly through this. You're asking the question, what's my next step? And that's a great question to ask. This little guide that we've put in here, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that it's the perfect guide because it's not. But the reality is, is that many of you come from unchurched backgrounds and you never heard anything before. Last week, I had the privilege of sitting in one of our campuses and behind me was an individual who brought his mom and it was their very first time for that individual and his mom to be in a church setting ever, ever. And I said, surely you've been to a funeral? Or nope, we've never been to a church and I recognize that for some of you that you've been born and raised in this, you already know enough stuff and those kind of things, but there are more and more people in our community who don't attend a church ever. When people talk about why we spend so much time and effort working with middle school and high school kids in our community, you know why we do that? Because any middle schooler or high schooler sitting in this room will tell you that if they go to a public school, that more than 50% of the people they go to school with attend no church anywhere. That number for today's middle school and high school kids in north central Indiana is now around 70%. Do not attend a church anywhere. Folks, there's a generation of people that aren't doing church. And so we've tried to make this as simple as possible for them to know what their next step is. And you can go through, take a pen, fill this out. It's very self-explanatory. And you can begin to figure out what your next step is in Christ. You can walk through this little booklet, fill these out, and then you with somebody else say, I'm looking at it and there's four or five things and you'll see statements, five statements or six statements under each of these. You find one of those statements and then the goal for you is to pour into that and try to get better at that. For you to begin to say, okay, we're going to try to work on this. 
You go to page 10 and it talks to you about, the, the, page 10 is an information about how do you involve yourself in serving here at Crossroads. Page 12 is about groups. Last year, nearly 3,000 of you said yes to a group at one time or another in the course of a service because we believe that we become more like Jesus together. It's important to us. Maybe for you, the next step is generosity, that you know that your next step is that you need to begin to give something back financially, that God's blessed you and it's all his anyway, and so you figure out how to do that. That's the next step. Uh, the next one on page 16, many of you have said to me, I don't know how to share my faith. If somebody walked up to me and said, hey, tell me how to become a Christian, I don't even know the first thing to do. And page 16 and 17 is a simple way for you to be able to write out your story, what Christ has done for you, and what it is that you can tell somebody in two minutes or less. I've told this number, th number on page 16 here, I've told this story a number of times. Just recently, I had the opportunity to be in a restaurant and I was sitting there with a group of pastors sitting around a table. Our waitress comes out. I ask her a handful of questions and the next thing I know, she pours out her entire life to me and it was a life of hopelessness. Worried she was going to lose another job. Worried that everything was going to fall apart. As we went through and, and they were bringing out our food and as they were finishing up our food, I continued to have conversation with her and then I eventually said to her, I said, you know what? I said, have you ever put your hope and your faith in Jesus Christ? And she broke down and she started to cry and she said, when I was three, grandma used to take me to church, but I've never, ever been to church since. Ladies and gentlemen, that restaurant was less than two miles from where you sit. See, the hope that we have in Christ isn't a given to every person in this room. It isn't a given to every person in our community. Hundreds of them don't know that. And so this is one of the reasons why we put this on here as an opportunity for you to share your faith. The step eight, you see membership. Some of you are ready to call this place home. You've been coming here for a while. You've been doing a few things. Then maybe it's time for you to do that and you see the information to, to, to do that. Or maybe you've been coming here and you've been a member and now you're ready to lead. Then there's some information there. And, and then the last thing in page 22, I just want to point out to you as we conclude today, is, is, is you probably haven't noticed this and that's okay. Didn't want you to notice this. But every sermon that I've preached between January and until we get to the point of Easter, I preach specifically from the words of Jesus Christ. He either told the story, he either preached the message, or he was in a situation talking with other folks. You can go back and look at it. You know why? Because I believe that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. It is central to who I am and who I believe. And so these pages on 22 and 23 is a quick little 12-day journey for you to walk through with anybody about Jesus and some of the highlights of his life. You can give them an opportunity for them to discover who he was when he was born and who he was when he rose from the dead and how that works. And the last page is just some other resources that you can have that we have around our website and some other things. Here's what I want you to do with this. My encouragement to you is to take this home and here's the deal. You look at it. You ask somebody else to look at it with you. You take that test on page six and then you find out what your next step is. You've been given direction to take your next step with Christ. And the question that you now have to ask is this, how fertile is the soil? Because that's a question for you. You're the one that prepares the soil. 
And for some of us in the room that say, you know what, I'm kind of happy where I am. I've done enough growth. I'm really figuring it out. I'm there. I really don't need nothing. I don't need anything else. I'm kind of gone far enough. You have to figure that out. I've learned over the course of my life that while I think that there are times in my life that the soil is fertile enough, it's not. And God figures out ways to grow me even further. In a recent taking of this test, God reminded me again that there was more areas in my life that he wanted to work in me. There were more things that he wanted to grow in me. And there were more things that he wanted. And the reason behind it is because of this. I want the day to come in my life where the most intimate relationship that I have is not with my wife, but with Jesus Christ. And when that's the most intimate relationship I have, then the relationship with my wife follows very closely behind it. And that's my prayer for you. It's your pastor, and I love you. And I'm grateful to be a person who comes alongside you and watches you grow. And I've seen so much growth in so many of you. And my prayer for you is that you would take your next step with Christ. It's the mission of Crossroads Community Church. We believe that every person who walks in these doors, our job is to come alongside you and help you find your next step. Because I honestly believe that when we're a group of individuals that are growing closer to falling in love with Jesus, he continues to use us in ways that we cannot possibly imagine. Let me pray for us. Oh, Jesus. Oh, how you love us. And God, the scriptures that we read today to a person in this room who's never experienced you, Jesus, seem so condemning and cold. And yet, Lord, you spoke these to a group of individuals who had spent three and a half years with you. They'd slept with you beside the campfire at night. They watched you wake up in the early hours of the morning and get away to your heavenly father. And then they watched you throughout the days heal people who were close to them or far from them. They watched you share the good news of who God is with people around them and even to themselves. And they even watched you turn over the keys to the kingdom of God to them. And this is why you would say this to the very people you love the most on this earth. And Jesus, this is why you say this to us in the year 2019 in a place called Kokomo, Indiana. And so Lord, I pray that each of us in this room would wrestle with the passage that we pray, preached on today. I pray, God, that these booklets would not fall on empty hands, that somebody would just take it and put it on a shelf and forget about it, but that, God, even tonight, whenever it's time for bed, that there might be a, a five- or a ten-minute window where somebody walks through and takes this quiz and recognizes what their next step is, and they're willing to take that next step. 
Lord, you know that the, the passion that you have burning inside of me is to see a movement of you, of people of you moving forward and changing the people who are around us. And Lord, loving those who are the least of these and encouraging those on a regular basis to discover who you are. And I'm grateful, God, that we can see evidence of that all over our community, that God, we see people who show up and we see people who find you. And I'm grateful, Lord, for the people that we see even just an hour ago the man that I spoke to who said yes to you for the first time who's ready to take this journey and move forward in his life that God you would continue to help him find individuals that he can bring in a relationship with you too Jesus thank you thank you for giving us the privilege of carrying the keys to the kingdom of God every day of our lives. So help us in just a few moments when we leave this place to take your message further than it's ever been taken before. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.